1: Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And today I have a really special episode for you guys. I am joined today by Dr. Betsy Guerra, and she is somebody who I met at a book signing. She has a very, very powerful story, and I really wanted you all to hear it. So without further ado, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. She's a bilingual psychotherapist, author, and international speaker who combines her clinical expertise with the power of faith in a unique psycho-spiritual approach. This method has proven to create powerful transformation in her clients, audiences, and the heart-centered leaders she certifies as life coaches in the Faith-Based Coaching Academy. Without really knowing your story, Just hearing about what you do, Betsy, we might think you're a spiritual person. You are obviously very thoughtful in terms of people's interpretations of things. You're a psychotherapist. But there's so much more. There's so much more to who you are and what you bring to the work. And I would love, first of all, to welcome you and thank you so much for coming on here. And then I'd love it if you could tell the listeners your story because I heard it and I was so moved that I had to share it with the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, so I am a very happy wife, I'm obsessed with my husband, and I am a mother of four. And one of my beloved children moved away from home too soon. She she went to heaven. And it was as a result of an unexpected pool accident on this given summer Sunday in our Miami weather, heat. We were in the pool with family and friends who feel like family. And all the kids were playing and, all, you know, the parents were inside the pool, outside the pool, overlooking at the pool and a few yards away looking at the barbecue. And I was in the pool with the children who were in the corner of the pool playing and other parents. And, At some point, I'm having a conversation with my friend, Christy. And at some point, she's like, where's Fofi? We called my daughter, my second daughter, Fofi. She was almost three at the time. And I, for no reason, right, for what seemed like no reason, because I was there, I panicked when she asked that. And and immediately I started looking everywhere and I'm like, where is Fofi? And I I couldn't see her and and my heart was pounding and... And I was anxious and nervous and I was panicking and and suddenly I looked next to me and there she was, but at the bottom of the pool. And I remember at that moment just getting into the water, grabbing her, like clutching her against my chest and holding her and bringing her out of the pool. And the the water was like pushing us down and I was making every effort to like come out and put her outside. And we had a friend who's a pediatrician. She's a doctor. She was there. So she was able to get her pulse and she had pulse. Her heart was beating and I was just there trying to, I don't even know do what, like I tried to do CP. I, I don't even know that I knew what I was doing. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, like the power I have right now, the only power I have right now is pray. So I prayed. I just prayed. I'm like, God, please save her. God, please save her. God, save her. Save her for you, God. Like save her. I made promises. I just had so much faith that she would be saved. Like how could she not? Like, It was not possible, right? We moved to a house with a pool. I put her in survival classes. Then I put her in swimming classes. Like people would criticize me because I was like hardcore, overprotective, eyes on my kids all the time. I thought I had done everything in my power to keep them safe and alive. It was obvious that God was gonna save her and I had all the faith in the world. So that's what happens when you have faith, right? Like God does what you tell him to and what what you think is supposed to happen. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. So the ambulance came and it was the perfect scenario for her to be saved. I had my friend who was a doctor at the house. I had a Baptist hospital five minutes away. The ambulance got there in, in what felt like a minute. You would think it, it would feel like eternity, but no, they got there really fast. And And we got to the hospital and the doctors were working on her. And, and at some point I'm looking at the monitor and I'm like, What's that straight line? Like, mm-hmm. like, like what is that? Like is that the flat line that you know people talk about and that we hear about in the movies? So at that point I'm like, God make her heartbeat, God make her heartbeat. God make her heartbeat, make her heartbeat. And I kept them like begging because I knew that if I asked with my heart, I knew he would listen. And three things happened during the time in the hospital, that I consider were signs, and I consider this in hindsight. The first one was, at some point I was so overwhelmed with thinking. I couldn't think, everything was a blur. And I didn't want to stop praying because I was scared that God would think I didn't have enough faith. So I was like, God, can you give me like a phrase or something I can repeat in prayer without having to think about what to say? And the phrase that came to me, which I think we're all familiar with, but at the time I wasn't—I had heard it before, but it wasn't something that I used regularly. The phrase that came to me was the scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as soon as I heard that within me, I was like, no, no, because that would mean that she didn't make it. So I'm like, no, that's lack of faith, but delete, delete. So then I go, make her heartbeat, God, make her heartbeat. I'm thinking, like, we, I get to be specific. So that's what I'm going to ask for. I want that flat line to become like a different kind of line, an alive kind of line. And I'm like, make her heartbeat, make her heartbeat, God, make her heartbeat. And then I had another message within that said, You know, I can make her heartbeat, but she may not be the fofi that you know. And at that moment, when I thought about that thought, that came into my mind i thought about my sister my sister has severe mental retardation she has epilepsy she has special needs and she was born fine but got sick had a high fever when she was nine months and she had brain damage as a result so i grew up with her having special needs and it was hard um and i always prayed for healthy children because i understood in my core what that meant So I had that thought, like, you know, I can make her heart beat and she may not be the same. And my response was like, I don't care. Which I guess was my parents' response back then when she was in a coma. Like, And they always say my sister is a miracle and she's a blessing. And now I I get it, right? Like, she's alive. And that's all I wanted. I wanted her heart to beat. I'm like, I don't care. Just make her heart beat. I'm going to love her all the same. Just make her heart beat. And then... Minutes, seconds, and eternity, and yet no time passed. And I prayed, but followed by the prayer, I found myself saying, but let it be your will. And I did not say that because I wanted it to be my will. But that happened in my mind, in my heart. And shortly after that, I fell on my knees next to the stretcher of my daughter's body, And I literally and physically surrendered and I started singing to myself something also that I didn't intend to do. It it was almost like it was an out-of-body experience and I'm watching all these things happen to my person, but I, I wasn't directing them. And I started singing to myself a song that I coined the song of hope And I used, I can't sing for my life. But this is a song that when I sing it, I swear I can sing, right? And it's a beautiful song. So I would use it as a lullaby to my daughters at the time. And I used to sing it to someone, like people in the past who were going through difficult times. It was a song of hope. It's a Spanish song. And when I translated, it said something along the lines of, in your heart, you will experience a sweet song Soon the night will pass with its terror, grief no more, because soon the sunlight will brighten up your heart. Something along those lines, right? So it's like, I know this is terror right now, but this will pass and light will shine through and you know, you'll know you be okay. So I was singing this song to myself, kneeling next to the stretcher and knowing that my daughter's heart was not going to beat as I asked God for it to happen. And the doctors were still working on it. I'm usually the the dreamer, the hopeless romantic, the you know living in the clouds kind of girl. And my husband was like the practical, rational man who put my feet back on earth when I needed to be like shaking a bit. And this time he was the one with the hope. The doctors are still working. I know this is not happening anymore. And he looks at me and he's like, they're trying something different. This time, you know, this is going to work. This is going to work. I don't know at that moment what hurt more if it was my pain of surrender and acceptance and this is really happening. I'm not going to hold my daughter again or see my husband with hope and not being able to do anything about it. And soon after that, the doctor stopped working on her and I don't think they needed to say anything because their eyes told us everything. But if they did, it must have been something along the lines of, I am sorry, or I don't know. And they left. And God didn't make her heart beat. And mine was threatened of Not beating anymore as well. Like I left with a lot of hopelessness and pain. I couldn't believe I was going to live without her. Who can live without her daughter? Like I lived for my husband and my kids. They're my life. I didn't think I could survive that. There's no PhD in psychology. People think like, oh, it's because you had the PhD that you're where you're at now. No, no, no. There's no PhD in psychology that prepares you for this. Nothing prepares you for certain tragedies. And for me, it was the loss of my daughter. But for you, it may be divorced. Losing your family, your marriage, your life as you knew it, or it's a financial difficulty, like not being able to provide for or afford what you desire, the life that you want to give your family, or it's a legal problem you're in that you don't know how to get out of. Pain is pain. And we all experience it. And the worst pain is not mine because, oh my gosh, I can't imagine losing a a child or a spouse or a a parent. The worst pain is the one that you're experiencing. Pain is pain. Pain. For me, it was the loss of my daughter. And I did not think I could live without her. And I wanted to die. I did. I wanted to die. I I couldn't wait to die. And that night, I left the hospital without my daughter. Like, it almost felt like I was abandoning her. And I got to the house and somehow I managed to go to sleep at some point. And then suddenly, I found myself on the bathroom floor, of my daughter's bedroom, rocking back and forth, wanting to pull my head off like a deranged woman because I couldn't bear reality. I could not believe it, deal with it, accept it, welcome it, I did not think I could live. So I wanted to like rip my head off, like get rid of my thoughts of the flashbacks, of the torment, the darkness, and that day, after at the time 12 years of being in practice it's been over 20 now at that time i understood for the first time why people go crazy why people lose contact with reality reality sometimes is too unbearable it's excruciating it like penetrates to your bones like it's hard all i remember was my husband rescuing me and you know in in my words or in my vision it was like Jesus himself coming to like hold me literally like he literally like carried me and held me back to the bed I don't know how I got there I only know how I got out of there and it was by being carried it was by being held and my husband I learned years later his thoughts were You're the psychologist. If this is you, what's going to happen to me? Right? Like his thought was like, "Oh, oh, we're screwed. My experience was I was saved from hopelessness and, you know, becoming deranged. And the next day the sun came out and it sneaked in through the windows, through the blinds. And I remember waking up and thinking, what the heck? Like, God, really? Like, can you send the sun back in? Like, I need some time. Like, my daughter just died. Like, I died. My life is over, over as I knew it. Like, can you stop? Can you stop the world for a moment? Like, people are going to work? The sun is out? Like, you know, what is this? Like, stop, world. And the world doesn't stop. And we think it's a bad thing because it's like, you're not giving me time to grieve. Like, it's just... What do you mean I have to go now and deal with the Department of Families who's going to come and see if, you know, what kind of parent I am that I let my daughter die? What do you mean I have to go prepare the box where I'm going to put my daughter's body for the funeral? What do you mean I have to welcome all these people into my home who are here to support me? Like, What do you mean I have to continue to breastfeed my almost one-year-old son who is still receiving my nurturing and my food I thought it was a bad thing. And in hindsight, I realized the light always shines through. It's we who are in the darkness. But the light shines through and it's available to you all the time, every day. Every day, there's a new beginning. And that was my new beginning. And it started with a visitor. I was hiding in my walk in closet, it was like my safe space. I was overwhelmed by how many people were in my house who came because they love us and support us. But I processed alone or with my people, right? So I was with my husband in the walking closet, hiding. And the priest who baptized our children and whom we love dearly, like he's he's like a true testament of love. He came to visit and he sat with us in the walking closet. And my husband asked, Father, you've seen this before. Is it possible to be happy again? Can we be happy again? The priest said, some people are not ever happy again. Mm. Some people are. And my husband asked very wisely, what's the difference? And he said, the people who are never happy again are those who choose to honor their loved one through suffering They believe that the more they suffer, the more they loved. So they can't give themselves permission to be happy. Otherwise, they will have forgotten or stopped loving the person that they're honoring. And the people who are happy again are those who choose a different way of honoring the loved one through service, gratitude, love. And at that moment, I made a decision. I was like, I am going to be like the latter. And that decision was made that day but it didn't happen that day as soon as he left i stood up i looked in the mirror and it was the same grieving mom in darkness who lost her daughter couldn't keep her alive who had a scarlet letter that said so and what i've learned in hindsight is that everything starts with a decision Mm -hmm. and then you're guided step by step moment by moment towards that destination. It's like turning on a GPS and putting the destination. And our destination was to go back to being happy. We're, we were full of love, joy, happiness. Like when people would say like, she's in a better place. I'm like, screw you. She lived in heaven. She had the best family in the world. Her parents were obsessed with her, loved each other, loved all their kids. Like We had heaven and I wanted that again. So I set the destination as I am going to be happy again, and I'm going to be the kind of parent who honors her daughter through love, service, gratitude. And that's why I'm here today speaking to you. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm doing this because I honor my daughter through service. And every opportunity I have to shine hope, to be hope for someone else, I use it to honor my daughter. Because that's how I love her. That's how I love on her, how I remember her, how I keep her memory alive. It's in writing the book that's available to everybody, Hurt, The Number Two Hope, that I share my story and the things that allowed me to rise up in my pain, that I keep her memory alive. And those things are not easy. They're not easy. Yeah.
1: But you choose your heart. Suffering is not easy either. It's know. so true. This is such a powerful story. And you have shared... I mean, there's so many complexities in the story that I think many of us experience in our life. And the people listening to this show typically are folks who are struggling with burnout. And I do see a lot of parallels. So I just want to take a moment to kind of shine a light on that. And the first thing that kind of popped out at me is you're in the hospital, you're next to your daughter, and you don't want her to die. And you're like, I will accept her even in this New stage. Like maybe she has brain damage. I don't care. I want her back and I will love her however she is. Right. And so there's this resistance to letting her go because you want her back in your life. You want things to go back to the way that they were. And I think a lot of times in our life, we resist change because we crave the familiar. And that's totally part of being human. I mean, that's just normal for us. It's kind of how we're wired. But then you get to this place where you have this inner knowing, like you don't want her to go, but you kind of just know that she's not coming back. And you talk about surrendering and accepting this new fact, despite the fact that you don't want it while your husband seems to kind of be in denial of like, no, 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 they're going to fix this. She's going to come back. It's going to be fine. And you talk about the pain of watching him go through that. When you know inside of you that that's not what's going to happen and that you don't have the power to change it. And so there's this dance that you do with hope and denial and with acceptance and surrendering. And it's not like once you surrendered, you stayed there and just accepted it. And that was it. It was this back and forth dance of like, I don't think she's coming back. And I just have to kind of go with God's will to, well, maybe... She will come back and this is not right. And, you know, your mind is kind of trying to, I guess, establish some hope for you because this is what you truly want. So there's like the rational mind and the more higher wisdom, if you will, where it's like intuitively, I know she's not coming back, but rationally, this doesn't make sense and I don't want this. And I think this is an important thing to highlight because whenever we go through something this painful It's really hard to accept it. And even when we have this inner knowing, we sometimes want to ignore it because it's not what we truly want. So there's a difference between knowing and wanting. And that's kind of what you demonstrated in the story, which I thought was really powerful. Mm -hmm. I also thought that you talked about how sometimes reality is too hard to accept that we want to escape it in some way. And that's where we have our breakdowns, right? It's where we're maybe like trying to go into the imaginary world of like, well, what if things were better in this other plane? And a lot of it isn't like a conscious decision. It's just our subconscious mind kind of taking over and saving us from the grief, right? It's just like, let me have this mental breakdown where you get to escape the reality. And I think that while burnout isn't quite as dramatic or life shattering as an experience like you had, I think there are still some parallels there where people experience just the deterioration of their world, where they thought that they were going to have this life, this career, a certain way of engaging in the world. And all of that changes for people who have extreme versions of burnout, right? Like, and they really have to rise up from the ashes and reinvent themselves and maybe change their careers and change their lifestyle. So there's that piece of like having to find yourself again. And we often talk about how, well, burnout is not something anybody would wish upon themselves because it can lead to this breakdown that often when you rise up from that, it kind of serves as a wake-up call Where you start to look at your life differently and make those different decisions. So, what I loved is how you came to this place where you said, This is a choice. I can choose to focus on suffering, or I can choose to focus on the service and the gratitude and the love. And that's such a hard decision. I mean, You know, most people would probably hate me if I got up in front of a stage during one of my keynotes and I said, listen, you guys are burned out and this is an opportunity for you to turn this around. Have more gratitude in your life. Like people would probably (laughs) hate me for that, right? But you are a living testament to that and you've had something far harder than burnout to contend with. And so we know now that it is a choice. We know now that this can really make the difference between a life of suffering and a life where you get to reinvent yourself and find that happiness again. And so now I'm pretty sure that everybody's kind of sitting on the edge of their seats wanting to hear about, yeah, you did that. How did you do that? And how can we do that? And I know you've got like a five-step process that you like to teach. So I would love to give you the stage, if you will, to share that with us. So for
2: everybody who's experiencing any tragedy, any adversity, any pain, any grief, any burnout, because God knows I've experienced a few in my life, then these are the five steps to help you rise above it. You know, we hear about the five stages of grief, and they robbed me of hope because I was like, wait, what? I still have anger and sadness and depression and all these things left before I get to acceptance. You know, one day with time, I'm going to debunk some of those perspectives in regards to how the stages of grief work by sharing the stages of hope, the steps mm-hmm. to rise above that burnout adversity experience that you're going through. And of course, I love acronyms. So the acronym that must fit this best is faith. Because I believe that no PhD in psychology could help me, but faith had the power to do so. And faith has the power to save you as well. And I will clarify that by faith, I don't mean religious. You don't have to go to church to have faith. I have a fear friend who doesn't believe in God or you know doesn't think of faith the way I look at it. And she is a woman of faith. She has faith in a higher power, whatever she calls that the universe. She has faith in herself. she has faith in people. she has faith in the process, in our ability to do hard things. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about faith. Of course, for me, it does revolve about around my faith in God because to me that's the origin of it all. But you, if you don't believe in God, it's okay. It's okay. As long as you believe, you can follow this method. So FAITH is an acronym. It starts with the F, which means feeling the fertilizing pain. So feeling and fertilizers is what we want to think of when we think of F. By feeling, I mean, the only way around pain is through Feeling is healing. If you feel the grief, if you feel the anger, if you feel the frustration, if you feel the burnout, if you feel the overwhelm, you will be able to relieve it. Feelings are like food. Anything that comes into your body, you must poop it. It must exit your body as well. So if you experience, if you feel it, if you eat it, chew it, swallow, process it, digest it, then you can release it. So- Mm. Feeling is important because it's the way to healing and viewing pain as a fertilizer is even more important because if you think of fertilizers, what are fertilizers made of? Poop. (laughs) They stink like it. They feel like it. But fertilizers ultimately help plants grow. They nourish them. They strengthen them. And so does pain. If you've ever heard of a hero's journey without pain, like, please let me know because I've never been privy to it, right? So pain is a fertilizer. It feels like crap. It stinks like it. Yes, I agree. It sucks and Mm. it's nourishing you.
1: Love that. I love that uh, analogy. It's so powerful because people don't want to feel their feelings, right? This is where we escape in every way possible. But it's such a powerful message to be like, no, you must feel this and doing so is good for you.
2: So the perspective is when you're thinking of pain as a fertilizer, then it's easier to feel it and have hope while you're feeling it because you know it's just a fertilizing day. You know that's not the destination. Pain is only the path, never the destination. So if you are feeling pain, you're healing, you're moving forward, you're rising. And viewing pain as such, brings hope while you're experiencing it. And I think this is a great opportunity to distinguish between pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. Pain is inevitable and it's healthy and it's important. And it's built on hope because it's healing. Suffering is optional. Suffering is you're eating crap. If we're going to stick to poop analogies, suffering is a waste of life. So what's the difference? So typically you enter suffering when I believe in two ways. Number one, evading pain because you escape it. So then it strengthens within you, give it more power. And number two, by dwelling on it. So some people do welcome it and they allow themselves to feel it, but you know, poop is stinky, but it's warm. So some people may get used to the smell of it, right? Like, you know, think about someone who works in a fish store. You can get used to a fish market you can get used to smell and you know and get comfortable in it so some of us stay in the pain as if it were the destination and just catch yourself when you say i'm never going to be happy again i said that i can't live without her oh this is never going to go away I'm never going to find someone else that, you know, better than my ex-husband. Whenever you think of it in terms of I'm never going to be able to overcome this, you're dwelling on the pain, which means you're suffering. And that's dark. There's no light there. There's no hope. Mm. There's hope in pain. There's no hope in suffering. There's light in pain because feeling is healing and pain is the path. There's no light in suffering, which is getting stuck in it, dwelling on it. So viewing pain as a fertilizer and allowing yourself to feel it frees you from the grief, from the burnout, from the pain that you're experiencing at the moment. And it gives you hope to experience it that way. The A in faith stands for acceptance. Acceptance is not a place where you arrive at after a few years of grieving. You know, by the way, time heals all wounds. I call BS makes you more of who you already are. Time gives you the space to flourish into what you are currently working on. So it gives you the space to expand, but you expand with what you're working with, right? So as time goes by, if you choose to dwell on suffering, you'll become bitter. Your heart will harden. You'll close off. So time will not heal those wounds. Time will just give you the space to continue evolving in that dysfunctional way that you're dealing with this situation, right? Like within the suffering aspect. So A is acceptance. And acceptance, rather than being a place you arrive at after going through a bunch of stages, is a state of being you proactively pursue. And the way you do that is by welcoming reality as is Notice I said welcoming, not liking, not accepting. You're welcoming it. You're not liking it. Welcome reality as is. You know how they say like, it is what it is. I hated that phrase. And yet nowadays I have respect for it. It is what it is, is acceptance. Welcome reality as is. So that you may remove the resistance that oftentimes causes more suffering than the original So the resistance, for example, I remember thinking like, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Like, she was supposed to bury me. I took care of her. I was overprotective. I was criticized for it. I did the swimming classes and the survival classes and like, God, it wasn't supposed to be this way. That's resistance. And it wasn't supposed to be this way created a lot of pain, a lot of suffering because I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't understand that I, I was fighting
1: reality and every time we fight reality we lose every it's, time it, it makes me think that like acceptance when you're not in acceptance you're in fight or flight you're either escaping reality by creating some sort of or you're kind of focusing on the story what you just said you know like you're resisting it or you're trying to maybe over medicate or kind of not be there not be present or so there's a yeah, exactly. So acceptance is really the opposite of fight or flight. It's kind of being in the here and now and saying, like, I may not like what's happening, but I can't deny the fact that this is happening, and just kind of sitting with that. It's kind of a Zen thing, isn't it? Where
2: it's I like I can't be home because when I'm home alone, I cry. I can't do this, and I need a drink because if not, I'm gonna explode. Well, explode. Feel it. Be angry. Be sad. Cry. That goes back to step one. So feel it and then accept it. Acceptance is freeing. Acceptance is power. And I believe the most powerful thing we can ever do is surrender, right? People think of surrender and they may think giving up. But surrender is relinquishing the control that you never had and welcoming what is, as is. So you may now put all your energy and all your emotions and all your efforts on processing solving moving forward creating what your heart desires that is not what you have right now so for me i knew that thinking she was supposed to bury me and it wasn't supposed to be this way was preventing me from believing in heaven which is something that helped me feel like i was a good mom that was happy for her daughter right like so i thought of heaven as college My daughter went away to college. I miss her and I want to be with her and I want to see her every day, but she's happy and she's thriving and she's successful. And how can I not be happy for my daughter? How can I be unselfish and be happy for her, right? So I needed to think of heaven as her college that she went away to and she's Mm -hmm. happy and thriving. And of course, this is a story I told myself that I chose to tell myself to help me and support me, but I couldn't do that. I couldn't strengthen my faith. I couldn't believe in heaven to be happy for her. I couldn't start experiencing her in a spiritual way because I was still too attached to yeah. the outcome that wasn't. Yeah. So acceptance is purposefully and proactively accepting what is as is so you may remove the resistance that creates more pain than
1: the actual experience. This is so rich. So we have to feel the feelings and then accept the reality what's i for i is interpretation
2: life okay. is an interpretation life is neutral shakespeare said nothing is either good or bad but thinking makes it so so we think that something like death of a daughter is bad death is bad right and the truth is death is neutral my two grandparents passed away a couple years ago just a couple months apart and when the first one passed away, it was like, oh my gosh, I was so sad. It was so unexpected and he was so strong and I had a really hard time. And then a couple months later, my other grandfather passed away and it was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, because he was so sick and he was suffering. Mm-hmm. And ironically, I, I may have been a little closer to the second one, but I felt gratitude for his passing. So wait, the death of a grandfather, is it positive or is it negative? yeah depends on how you see it it depends on your interpretation which means that if everything in life is neutral we have the power to decide whether it's a good thing that creates positive feelings or it's the end of the world
1: and the end of our lives yeah i can can spend hours talking about this this is like really powerful stuff so i hope people are taking notes at home (laughs) okay and And so we've got two more So in interpretation, it's about reframing, changing the
2: perspective. And I want to share with our audience, like you may think, yeah, Betsy, you know, we can reframe traffic. Oh, Miami traffic is great because we get to call our moms and listen to the podcast and, you know, be." but how do you reframe the loss of your daughter? And I, for that, I have to say that I was the grieving mom who couldn't keep her memory alive and carried herself as such. And I chose to become the chosen mother of an angel and i am vip in heaven and i am so lucky because i have all sorts of hookups because my daughter is so freaking cute that when she goes to jesus and like grabs him and he's like you're so cute what do you want whatever you want i'm going to give you so then i have this advocate in heaven for me and i swear i feel i'm the luckiest woman of all because i was chosen to be her mother she's an angel like and i'm her mom like how special am i And when I think of that, I believe it, but it's a story anyway. So we get to reframe it. And then the T in faith stands for team. And that refers to the people we surround ourselves by, we become more like. So if I am in a support group of other bereaved parents who are only identified as grieving parents, then I may not be able to rise above this. But if I'm in a support group that encourages, the rising above, the honoring and loving through service that if you're going through a divorce and you hire an attorney that is going to screw, you know, your spouse over and get all the pennies that they can. But wait, what you want for your family is peace and for your children to have a good image of their father or their mom. Wait, is that in alignment with what you desire? So team is about choosing people who are in alignment with our core values and who are a step ahead in a similar journey and can help us rise towards that greatness that we're called to. So surrounding yourself with people who make you better, who elevate you, who are graceful, who have done hard things and have been able to come to the other side is really important. And that includes not only your family, friends, but also the professionals that you hire, the coach, the therapist, the, the attorney the financial advisor um, and then the um, H in faith stands for habits. And when you were talking about the subconscious mind, all these things that I, I thought that's what habits is about. Like habits is about automating yes. as much of the healthy behaviors that support you in like, for example, you eat healthy foods and you're going to support your body and feeling better, more energized so that instead of being like bloated or on a sugar coma at noon or, you know, wanting to go to sleep and tired, but in the middle of the day, you're feeling energized and you're ready to conquer the world. You're using all your energy to like heal rather than, you know, deal with the stomachache and the bloatiness that you're feeling. Um, Exercise. We know that when you exercise, not only do you release all these awesome feel good hormones, which elevate your mood, but you're also moving the emotions that are stuck in your body because that's what trauma is. Trauma is stuck emotions. As Dispenza says, thoughts are the language of the mind emotions are the language of the body so when you're moving around when you're exercising you're breaking down all that stuck emotion that causes that neck pain or your back ache or the bloatiness all these things that you experience in your gut and your body can be shaken off and broken down and that's healing that's a way of healing so exercise is important and I could go on and on about Awesome habits that will support you, but I cannot finish without saying what I think is the most important habit, which is the three S's silence, solitude, and stillness. Spending time in silence and in stillness will support you in every aspect of your life because when you are present with that higher version of you or the god within you or when you're one with the universe however you want to perceive this when you're in that space of stillness what you're doing is you're letting go of your thoughts aka human limits sentences that may not be supporting you and you are making space and room to download infinite wisdom to download emotions that will support you So meditation, prayer, silence, mindfulness, all those exercises help you become infinite and help you reach your greatness. So success is inevitable. When you spend a few minutes every day in silence, you may think you're not doing anything because you got distracted and you thought about something. But ultimately, all you have to do is show up. Show up to that time. It doesn't matter if you were super distracted. The intention of being in silence, solitude and stillness will support you in becoming a more graceful person, someone more strengthened from within and just have wisdom beyond your ears. Like you'll be able to gain clarity in terms of like, what is that next right step that I get to take to overcome the burnout, to reframe it, to feel in a fertilized way, Like, what is it that I get to do to be able to overcome and rise above to my greatness and be in service of others in doing so?
1: There are so many pearls of wisdom in your story, in your faith acronym, I mean, too many to mention. Honestly, I feel like if you're listening to this, you need to go back and probably re-listen because there's just so much that you jam-packed into this one episode. I think there's enough material here for multiple books. I really thank you for that. And your message is very powerful. The message is that regardless of what adversity you're facing... The sun still rises the next day and that you have to make the decision of, do you want to rise up with the sun or do you want to stay in darkness? And that darkness only exists because you have chosen not to rise. So it's not an easy journey, but it is possible. And you've given us the step-by-step process of how to do it. And this is very, very powerful stuff. And the one question that I had in my mind as you're talking about the story of your daughter, was, you know, you're a person of faith and your faith has even been strengthened, I might say, after this happened. But, you know, somebody who's maybe a little skeptical might ask, you know, how is it that you didn't lose your faith because you were praying to God for your daughter to come back and he didn't deliver? What would you say to that?
2: I fought with God a lot. So I'm glad you asked asked that because if people think that I was like, God, your will, whatever you, no, 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 no. I fought with him every day. How could you do that? You're crazy, you're crazy. And then he would be like, I know your plans are better, your plans for me are better than my own, but you are crazy, how could you do it this way? Like, how could you allow this? Like, I would fight with him all the time. But I think as a mom, and I think of God as my heavenly father, like as a mom, I'm okay with my daughter fighting with me, or my son fighting with me. It would hurt deeply. If he stopped talking to me or she stopped talking to me, right? So I think you don't have to agree with God's plan of allowing this, because I don't think he did this to me or to you. I think he allowed it. He had the power to avoid it. and He didn't. WTF. I asked him that a few times. But there's an opportunity to question him, fight with him. Just stay with him or the universe or the thing, like whatever you believe in, just stay in its presence because it's inevitable anyway, right? Like it's unavoidable. So might as well just be held by it. And I will also say that strengthening my muscle, aka habit of faith, because faith is also a habit. Yeah. Having strengthened my faith throughout the years and getting in the habit of nurturing that faith Supported me deeply. If you don't have faith, build it now. If you've had faith, fight with God. <laughs> Just stick around. It's okay. I think he's okay with me fighting. Like, I literally picture myself like banging on his chest. Like, what are you thinking? Like a little kid do when they're having a tantrum. Yeah. I questioned it. I argued. I thought he was crazy. I called them crazy and many other things I'd rather mm-hmm. not say out loud. <laughs> And I was held, right? Like we think it's either or, either you strengthen your faith or you lose it because you're questioning God. And
1: I think it's both and, you know, you question it and you stick around. And, you know, you said something really powerful when I first heard you say this story. You said, even though I would have never wished this upon myself, I wouldn't change it for the world.
2: Yeah, that's still hard to say and repeat. And it's the truest truth I live with. The experience of losing my daughter was the most excruciating pain of my life. And if I had a choice to know what I know now without going through that, I would undo it in a heartbeat. And it's been the greatest blessing because I'm the happiest woman on earth. I am. Like my daughter, when she was 12, wisely said, I don't think we'd be so happy had we not gone through together as a family through so much pain. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to be true because pain fertilized us. It strengthens us. We have perspective now. So when I'm having one of my pity parties, which, and my burnouts, because if God knows I'm familiar with burnout, (laughs) when I'm having one of those, I have perspective. I still have my pity party because feeling is healing. So after I feel the feels, then I'm like, wait, but it's not losing my daughter. I can do this. I can get through this, right? And be stronger. Yeah. It gives me perspective
1: and strength. Yes. So Betsy, if people want to continue this with you, to continue the conversation, to maybe find you online, where should they go? So
2: my website is betterwithbetsy.com and I have a lot of programs and opportunities to connect there. And I have a faith-based coaching academy where I certify life coaches, like people thought leaders as life coaches. So if you want to learn more, that's the best place to be. That's faithbasedcoachingacademy.com. But if you go to Better With Betsy, you'll find the link to that. And I wanted to gift the audience something in case they want to share this message with other people in a more concise way. I have my faith method on a five-video series at Hurt, the number two, HOPE dot com slash faith hurt the number two hope dot com slash faith and hurt the number two hope is also the name of my book if you want to learn more about it and share it with someone who may be going through something difficult
1: so we will put all the links to all of that in the chat of course so people can continue to look through this especially if This inspired them to look deeper into their pain. And once again, I really, really thank you for being brave and sharing your message and your story, not just with your community, but with ours as well. My pleasure. Thank you. And for all of you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review, telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. And if you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye everybody.